Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am joined, as always, by Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth? Good, good. What about you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks. Busy, busy, but uh, that is always the way at this time of year. Um, you are in a new location today. Someone else is getting yes, free advertising yes. for something that, realistically, their customers will uh, will never utilise. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've stuck in, snuck into um, the skip bar at the Subtle Lodge, which, given the bar isn't actually open until this afternoon, and it's currently 9am. It's, you know, it's a, it's a little quiet. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure the... Uh, the people who work there are obviously ever so slightly concerned uh, of the fact that you're desperate to get into the bar at 9am, but uh, we'll, sh- we'll shelve that uh, for, for another day, I suppose. Um, we are going to be talking to you today about the Nations League in general, what's happened in the last few weeks, obviously the fact that we are going to Qatar, and obviously yesterday's kind of big breaking news, we're recording this on Tuesday, that Ryan Giggs has resigned his position. Uh, Before we go into the chat, just want to do some relative housekeeping. Um, It would be great if you kind of liked and subscribed what we do on your favorite podcast platform so you get all these sent to you and updated and and you don't have to do anything. You can just listen to us waffling every time a podcast is released. Equally, we've got a new YouTube channel and it would be great if you went to have a look at Coleman Had a Dream over on YouTube, some match reaction videos uh, and a few other specials coming up over the summer uh, in relation to our World Cup are all going to be over there. So please go and check those out. Equally, uh, go to colemanhadadream.com for all of the other stuff that we produce in writing. We have all of our links there, all of our podcasts are there, and I think even our YouTube video links are there as well. So lots and lots of stuff for you to get your eyes and ears on. So we shall start... I think it makes sense to discuss the the most obvious story at the moment, which is Ryan Giggs resigning from his post as Wales manager. What's your What's your initial thoughts, Ruth? Um, well, I think it's a step forward. Clearly, that he's he's well, he's he's done some, something that should have happened probably eighteen months ago, at least really. Um, but at least we've got there. Um, I, I find it frustrating that. The penny only really seems to have dropped with him that he's a distraction. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm grateful he's resigned finally. Uh, I think it's a, a closure that was needed. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it might have become very, very difficult organisationally if he, you know, Obviously, for his sake, you want the trial to go one particular way. If you just, you know, if you're just thinking of his sake, um, and I think if he'd have if he'd have been back in a position to be our manager, which is the role he had after August, I think that would have become very difficult for us to navigate. So I'm I'm glad that that question is is off the table. Disappointed about how he's approached it. Disappointed that he's continued to take the money. At a time when the FAW have clearly, you know, had issues around an income with the with COVID and, and everything else that's been going on, um, but yeah, it's it's a relief, I think. I think, yeah, I think that's that's the best way to put it. I agree with you there. It is a relief. I'm I'm glad it's kind of over. I agree. It's it's basically two years too late. I mean, this started in November 2020. This is going on for a long, long time, and I and I can't help but feel the the cynical side of me that he has waited until we've qualified for a World Cup when realistically his contract is all but up anyway, um, and the financial benefits of that kind of are coming to an end for him. I, I, it's, it, it, those two things to f- seem far too uh, ironic to be happening at the same time. Ironic is not the right word. What do I mean? Uh, uh, coincidental is the word I'm looking for. So you know that's not, that's not a that's not a coincidence to me. That that seems very planned. I also thought it was interesting from the FAW's perspective actually that they uh, the story broke in inverted commas and the Twitter story from the guy I think it was from the Daily Mail who posted it first. That story went out at the exact same minute that uh, the loyalty tickets, uh, loyalty points for tickets, sorry, for Qatar was released at the exact same time, which I thought was a very, very interesting and I would imagine intentional decision uh, as well. I I, I just have to agree with you, Ruth. I'm I'm glad he's gone. I've had an interesting question, an interesting back and forth with a few people on Twitter today who said that um, regardless of what's happened since, we should be thanking him for what he's done for us. 
I find it a difficult movie, really, because, I mean, there's obviously an element where he has achieved stuff for us. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to overlook that. But I think when dishing out gratitude to someone who has behaved in the way he has behaved, and I, I reiterate this is in his previous behavior. I don't want to get called into causing some, some libel case. I, I didn't like gigs at the start. I think for anyone who listened to our podcast at the time, they would they would hear that. Um, but I think that there's a difference between recognizing what he did for us as a professional, which was qualifiers for Euros, and I'm grateful for that, and people mentioned some of the players that he's brought into the squad and helped bring on, which, again, I'm grateful for. I would equally say that, for example, um, you know, Kiefer Moore wouldn't be where he is without without Ryan Giggs calling him up into the Wales squad in his career. I would also say that there's other people who've been given a chance uh, through Giggs. So there is an element where I think it is fair to say that he did some stuff well. I just can't bring myself to give a big thank you to him. Um, I just don't think he's a good person, and I think I don't think he deserves our respect enough in that way, which might seem harsh to some people, and I, you know, people are totally um, welcome to their opinion of this. It's just from my perspective, I just can't, I can't bring myself to do that. I just don't think he's a good person. But that, that's that's my take on it. I can still recognise that he did stuff for us, but the happiness for me came from seeing our country qualify and our players qualify, not from it from his perspective if that makes sense i don't know what you think ruth i i think my view is that whoever was coming after coleman would have been looking at the younger players and revamping that squad and re-energizing things and yes he did that and i'm not ungrateful for, for that it was actions that were needed but I'm, i think whoever followed in chris coleman's shoes would have probably been doing something very, very similar um, so I'm 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 with I'm with you. I, I, I find it a little well. It would be somewhat hypocritical because I, we we made it clear at the start when he was you know up, up for discussion as the next manager that we had reservations about him, which were based on a character assessment and a sort of historical <clears throat> historical actions. And so you know I, I think even if he did he was the manager now and he'd got us through this stage and you know he it was him that was taking us to the world cup and nothing that has happened in the last two years had happened then i think i, I would still be wondering what he was like as a person if that makes sense yeah and i say again regular listeners will know my opinion on tom lawrence that opinion is formed on on what i think of him as a character and again i've never met the man but his actions speak to that and i think equally like you've said there it'd be hypocritical of me to change my view on on one and not the other and uh, you know I, ultimately i think that there's an element where we need to say this is just finished and i think having an argument on twitter or otherwise as i have done today um about whether we should thank him or not is kind of irrelevant i think he's put everyone faw himself everyone in a very very difficult position and i don't think as a consequence he should get any credit for that. i think that diminishes any credit he would get uh, would get sorry if that makes sense um do you have anything else you want to add there ruth okay i take it by the head shake there ruth that you do not have anything to add so we will move on um recently obviously we've discussed the poland game the ukraine game and uh, and the late defeat against the Dutch in Cardiff. So we'll leave those for now. We will do a little uh, celebratory comeback to Ukraine, I think, at the end, Ruth. But um, let's, let's look at those two other games, the draw against the Belgians and the uh, frustrating loss against the Dutch. Um, I think, ultimately, looking at the lineup for that, it was a very competitive performance, um, and I was pretty happy with the lineup. I think the big talking point for me was when Alan came off and Ramsey came on, we kind of lost our shape a little bit in the middle of the pitch. Would you would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 always a compromise, really, with that sort of choice about putting Ramsey into the holding midfield. It's it's clearly not his primary skill set. He's got shortcomings as a, a holding midfielder, um, but then we gain offensively, and and you know, obviously the the goal is an ultimate is an ultimate example of that. Um, and he was impactful in that game in a way that he hadn't been impactful in the Ukrainian game. Ironically, even though the the positioning on the field in the Ukraine game may actually suit him better. Um, so I, I, I just think it's a... Yeah, I just think it's always going to be a compromise. That, that, and, we, and we might come to what, you know, what the 
what this what the Nations League ultimately is meant for our sort of starting eleven. You know, we might come to that later or perhaps in a subsequent pod. But I I think we're always in a dilemma with his with this difficulty we have that our strength our our creative strength is upfield and quite where does he fit into that? Who are we going to sacrifice for him? Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, it's a difficult one, really, in a, in a sense that we don't want to lose him. I'm certainly not advocating for Ramsey to not be in the team. With that said, finding a balance against certain teams seems a lot easier at certain times, depending on who they are, I suppose. Looking back at the Nations League last time, we were able to get by with him or take chances because we're playing uh, Finland and Bulgaria and uh, someone else. But in this instance, we're playing higher quality opposition. And I don't think you can take those chances in, in leaving those spaces in behind. And that certainly showed. And that's not Ramsey's fault per se. I just think it's interesting that we need to, we, we need to recognise that that, ba- that is a balance that needs to be found, I think, between being offensive with the ball, but then what the consequence of that is without the ball. You mentioned there, obviously, the, the Belgian goal. That's a perfect example because he wasn't directly responsible, I don't think, for the for not picking up Tielemans, who eventually scored. It was Wilson. But it was more that that exposure and space that the Belgians had in the first instance, which I think led to their goal. And again, I'm not blaming Ramsey for the goal. I'm just saying that the, the space that's there. So I think it's an interesting dilemma to see whether Page either needs to instill more discipline in him or if he thinks he can't do that, then he needs to put someone else in there and utilise Ramsey somewhere else. But I, I don't think... We can take that chance of of, of both of, of him trying to do kind of half trying to do both, if that makes sense. I think also Alan isn't. I think Alan is very aware of Ramsey's game. So when you actually end up with Alan and Ramsey notionally as the holding pair, I think Joe is reading, <coughs> excuse me, reading Aaron's game so well and is so familiar with it. He almost helps fill the gaps. But when you put Ramsey with someone else, which is what happened in the Dutch game, then the the awareness isn't as clear, and I don't think there's there's as much sort of um, as much backup for Ramsey as there is when Allen's backing him up. Yeah, and that makes sense. And again, like to look at their goal, I would say that's very uh, indicative, if that's the right word, of that situation. In that, I think a lot of the goals we've conceded in this window of being avoidable, and I think that partly becomes down to that change in shape and how open we can become in transition I think this was an example of that and again I'm not blaming Ramsey for that Wilson is the person in this instance who should have gone with his man Um, I think that's also a quite simplistic way of looking at it I think the build-up around that with De Bruyne and the way they move the ball forward and then of course the touch back to Tielemans and the finish you know to say it's you know can be avoided by simply Wilson tracking his man is obviously simplifying it too much but I do think there is a room for improvement in that scenario especially when we're playing these high quality opposition yeah I, I, I agree with that and I, you know and I think the <clears throat> excuse me there's what Ramsey is able to do offensively was also clear in that game wasn't yes. it it's, it was clear what you're compromising in both directions and I think I think my view is ultimately it's a sort of horses for courses what what yeah What's the emphasis you need from because of the opposition, and hence which way you're gonna which way you're gonna go with this decision? Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's spot on. Um, I think our goal. I mean, first of all, we've got to say, having talked about Ramsey there in in a in a not positive way, you can see here how much of an influence he is capable of having, because as great as that little double Cruyff turn thingy, I don't even know what you call it was. For me, it was the fact that he ran past someone, slid on one knee and controlled the ball and got up and then did it. Like, I almost broke my legs just watching him do that, never mind having the ability and the awareness to actually stand up and do it. It was incredible. And that's the thing, isn't it? You don't want to lose that. He must be playing up higher up the pitch because when he can have the influence that he has on the game, and I thought he did that when he came on against the Dutch, his, the way he touches and moves the ball and the, the quality he possesses is absolutely ridiculous. What an assist. I mean, uh, let's, before we talk about the finish, let's just have a word for that. 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the steel on the floor is amazing in itself, isn't it? And, I, and that, that's almost like enough, enough of a contribution. It's like, okay, okay, Aaron, let someone else join in now. Okay. <laughs> but then when he, go, when he goes on for that back heel, which I'm, I'm in the camp that it was very, very deliberate. Oh, I, I, I think it's I think it was it's very illustrative, isn't it, of what you gain by having him further up the field. Yeah. But that's going to have consequences. It's going to cost you somebody else. Yeah. So what you know, I, I think there's a I think there's a lot of dilemmas around this, actually, for Paige to navigate. I, I think there's some interesting, um, interesting sort of developmental stuff ahead of the world cup that's that's going to be centered around this this issue i think this is one of the pivotal issues for us yeah i agree i think these games showed that he definitely does have those two plans and one of them is still that false nine with two wide players off whoever that false nine is and again my personal opinions on that aside we'll we'll cover that another time I do think it's it's good in one sense that we have those options and we do have what seems to be two systems to choose from. It's just important to me that he plays those systems at the right time. I guess you could look at this in the sense that this was, you know, it is glorified friendlies and as much as I've enjoyed the Nations League, that's what it is. It does mean that he had to use those games, I guess, to experiment with that system in a competitive environment. So maybe he's recognised the risks of that, what the consequence of that is, but he's decided he needs to do it anyway because that is one of the systems he's going to play at the World Cup. So I think I'm I'm happy to make that excuse for Paige in that instance, and he's and I'm sure, you know, he's very aware of this. He doesn't need you know some tubby little bloke in Holland to to tell him what's what's going on. So he knows that. And um, we'll have that wider discussion in one of our summer pods. I hope but um, a word on the finish from Brennan Johnson because the calmness and coolness in that environment late in the game against the second best ranked football team on the planet and he's I don't know what is he 12 years old or something Uh, to to be able to (laughs) to be able to have that I mean goodness me the calmness and composure if that was if that was me and again as we've you know referenced on this podcast many times thank god it isn't but if that was me, I would have just tried to absolutely leather that as hard as humanly possible. And he just measures it perfectly. He knows the goalkeeper can't react the other way. So he just rolls it past him. It even bobbles past his foot. It was such a cool, calm finish. And the highlight of it all for me was obviously we got the VAR thing. He looked offside, but I'm not complaining. And we kind of had this brilliant <laughs> double We had this brilliant double celebration. Shearer the dog almost had two heart attacks. Uh, rather than the uh, rather than the customary one when watching football together, um, but yeah, again, it was a great finish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I love the fact that the players made it a celebration for him, yeah. for his sake, as much as anything. Yeah. You know that they he he was able to actually take the take the joy in the in the in the moment the second time around. Um, yeah, I love the way it's it's sort of placed through the defender and just wide of the goal. It's I mean it's it's so very deliberate and uh, I mean he's he's showing very clearly that, that he has a calmness under pressure isn't he I think you, you've seen it in some of his forest games you've seen it in some of our games there's there's a maturity there for someone who's effectively still you know rounding out their first really full season um that yeah I, th- I think we've got we've got a little jam there can't pretend otherwise yeah I, I i totally agree now while we're talking about brennan johnson i think it's important that we also reference his strike partner for that game relatively speaking who is dan james i'm intrigued in your opinion here yep. because i like dan james and for all the criticisms that he has of his lack of end product which i think is fair at times his contribution to us is massive he does that running around that Bale won't do and in fact he does the pressing and everything that even Brennan Johnson doesn't want to do so he does deserve credit and praise for that because that is a key part of our game and how we press is based around him going after people like a headless chicken almost and it (laughs) giving everyone else time to get up the pitch and I think he deserves massive credit for that he just at a point he has to add that final product to his game doesn't he and I think that's what makes this interesting combination uh, choice really for for Paige ahead of the World Cup is Brett Johnson or James probably but I'm really intrigued to know what you think because at, at points in the Belgium game I thought there were times where he got himself in a really good position and either couldn't sort his feet out quick enough or he couldn't quite make his mind up quick enough what to do or couldn't quite time his run properly and I think 
where where do you fall on that? Do you think it's worth persisting with him because of the good he gives you, even if he doesn't give you the the goals, or do you think it might be potentially a time for change in that position? I think this is another one. That obviously, my my word for this podcast is compromise. I think it's another situation where you're having to compromise. I think James's work rate, his back checking, it's immense and I think it's underappreciated. And I do think it's structurally really important to how we play. It buys Bale and Mawson time on numerous occasions and it harries the defence. Um, I don't think you can say that he's a composed finisher, though. Johnson is obviously much more of a composed finisher when he has scoring opportunities. I think... That difference is most apparent if you haven't got Bale and Moore there. I think it was particularly apparent in this game because they, you have them with each other. And <clears throat> if you, we were playing Bale and Moore and hence therefore had finishers on the field, I would keep James for his dynamism. Yeah, that's a good point. If you are looking, if you're changing, if you haven't got that... Uh, uh, um, an obvious other striker, as it were, then Je- then James won't deliver in that respect. So that's where Johnson wins out. So I think it's again, I think it's a balance. You're not you're never looking at, at a player in isolation anyway, are you? And I think this is a real case of where it's a balance between who else is in that offensive third. So my gut reaction is if it's if it's a more and bail kind of partnership, I want James there because I want his legs. That's fine. I mean, I want his legs as well. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it did make you sound slightly predatory there, Ruth. I'll be honest. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he will. It is Ruth sat in a bar alone at 9am talking about wanting Dan James's legs. <laughs> you know, we've all got our, we've all got our, our flaws, Ruth. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I agree to an extent. And I think the depending on the shape is a big part of that. I think if we were to play like more and two people off him, then I would probably want James to do that running. Mm-hmm. If it's two, then I think it has to be Bale and Johnson really because of what the the finishing abilities that those people bring. But then that would have to have a, a second mm-hmm. person. So it all does kind of vary a little bit on on what else happens it's not quite as black and white as as perhaps some of us myself included are making out i suppose um overall i think it's fair to say that that was a, a point well earned uh, a point we deserved and i think arguably we could have got more i think we had chances obviously we had the disallowed goal we had connor roberts had a great chance in the first half dan james had a good chance second half johnson has a good chance second half so there was definitely more in that game, but equally, I think it's important to to reference that they could have scored more as well. So, you know, I, I think on the balance of play, uh, a point was probably the fair result there. To move onwards then to the game against the Dutch here in the Netherlands, obviously, because that's where the Dutch are from. Um, we had a fantastic day, I've got to say. Um, I wanted to mention a, a couple of things as part of our day. We got to, uh, I know Rotterdam a little bit from kind of going around and about and found out where the hotel was, where we were picking up our tickets, kind of got out, picked up the tickets. And I said to the boys, do you know what? There's a cracking little bar around the corner here, just on this harbour. I don't think it'll be busy. There won't be many people there. It's a cracking little spot for us to sit in the sunshine and have a few drinks. And we turned the corner <laughs> And it was just a sea of Wales flags and red shirts uh, and shirtless people drinking beer at, at midday to all intents and purposes. Um, it was absolutely fantastic and shows that my uh, my local insider knowledge was probably not as uh, as insider as I would like to think it was. Um, we had a fantastic day, I've got to say, kind of uh, sitting in the sun. I saw a few, a few of my mates of mine came over and bumped into a few others uh, who I haven't seen for a long, long time as well. Someone who's coached football with, Mike McAndrew. Um, so yeah, lots and uh, lots and lots of people to kind of sit and chat to, which is fantastic. Also, sat there. One of my favourite things. This has only happened twice, but and this being the second time, but it was absolutely superb. Was uh, Aled, who's someone who interacts with us on Twitter, came over and said, oh, "I, uh, I, I just wanted to say hi and you know shake your hand, sort of thing." And it was so nice to to kind of actually properly meet people that you interact with on Twitter in real life. Um, uh, another guy who's uh, who's a Leeds fan, Tyler, well, real name Roy, uh, came over and, and kind of sat with us and chatted with us and ended up coming to the match with us. Uh, great guy. 
Einstein, again, had lots of interaction with him on Twitter. So to be able to kind of sit and chat to, the, to people in real life is absolutely fantastic. So I, I love it when you come over and say hello. Equally, it annoys my friends no end when people come over and say, hello, are you die from Coleman had a dream and obviously boosts my ego endlessly. So that's also a, a main reason. Ruth is muted at the moment, but is laughing in the background, which is great. So yeah, it was a fantastic day. Getting to the ground nice and easy and getting in the stadium was fine. The stadium itself was a bit... Uh, tight and narrow shall we say in certain areas which was less than ideal but um, it was a fantastic place to watch football I thought the atmosphere was great and I will say the, the Dutch did lots of Mexican waves and at one point everyone got their like the torch light on their camera phones out and were just waving them arbitrarily which really bothered me um, but other than that it was a fantastic day and it was so great to, to kind of meet people in real life so I do I did just want to mention that and um, where did you watch it Ruth was it uh, was it quite as exciting I actually managed to watch a game where did I watch that one that was the Belgian one I managed to watch in the pub actually because that was at lunchtime on a Saturday so uh, the Dutch game I watched in the coffee bar because it was a, a bit earlier, I think. I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember, Dave. They all they all roll into one, the five of them. I've got an excuse of why it blurs into one for me because I was drunk for about five days before that. Uh, one of the boys the boys who were staying with me, their flight even got cancelled. They were going to go back on the Wednesday and then go back on a Thursday. So the, the Wednesday after the match became another drinking afternoon. I had to go to work on Wednesday, which was horrific. Uh, and then uh, we went back straight back out again. So yeah, it's, it was. I can understand my uh, blurriness of the situation Ruth but if you're watching at a coffee bar you should be the most uh, alert of all of us <laughs> the, um, just going back to what you were saying about the state of the stadium I heard pretty mixed mixed reviews about the sort of safety and yeah. organization and stewarding of, of the stadium what was what was your impression I think a lot of it, speaking to different people, kind of depended on where you were. We were in Block HH, which was the walkway. I don't know how, I don't know what you'd call it. The bit where you put your feet when you sit down, that bit was super narrow. And if someone wanted to come by you, it was almost impossible. And, like, for example, when the, the second goal went in, I turned around and about 10 people next to me had just fallen over because one step forward or one step back, you're either tripping over the seat in front or the seat you're supposed to be sat at. So that didn't help. I've heard that in other blocks it, it was a bit more broad, so it was, was more manageable. The main thing for me, to be honest, and I don't want to moan because it was a great day, the thing for me was the bar area, the concourse, whatever you want to call it, was in our block was absolutely tiny. It was, I don't know, maybe f 15 feet, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, maybe 20 feet wide. It was really narrow, and you're trying to get a couple of hundred people in a tiny little space. And I mean, we were like chins on backs you know queuing for the bar and it just was carnage it meant people couldn't come up the stairs because the queues were so big it's, it's not a big deal and I understand that people in other areas depending on what block you were in as I say we were HH I think other people in other areas didn't experience it in the same way um, and I will say I think it's symptomatic of Dutch football in general having been to a few away games with Ado this year it is very much symptomatic of that they they want to pen the away fans in as much as possible make life as difficult for them as possible um and ship them in and ship them out again so i would say that's it's not you know unique but it was a, it is a great ground and it's, it is a shame and i think the stewards are great as a general rule and getting in and out was easy and fine it was it's just the actual place itself and then it is quite an old ground that was kind of has tried to be modernized in a, a fairly uh weird way but yeah overall it was it was still a great experience i just felt that you know logistically that part of the ground wasn't particularly safe i would say okay interesting yeah um anyway yeah i i to, to move on and, and look at uh the game itself i thought again all things considered we could put out our strongest lineup there um my personal highlight for me and i would say the same probably about the belgian game was seeing ampadu in midfield I think that's his best position. I think he really showed that in these two games. His, his passing, his range of passing is great. Um, his defensive qualities are there. I love that he's a bit of a nasty man. Um, and I just think <laughs> all, all, all things considered, I th think he really suits that. Do you agree that it was you know, a strong lineup, firstly, but also that's probably the best place for him? I mean, considering who was out injured, we were without Alan and Moore. Yeah. 
Morel was injured by then as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Norrington Davies was serving the suspension. So all in all, I think it was you know it was a good lineup. Obviously, we did start with Bale and Ramsey, but I don't think it was. Yeah, you know, I think that it is what it is at the minute. Um, going back to the Ampadu question, I'm. I'm with you. I'd rather see him in midfield. I think his, I think his, as you say, his ability to get a sort of crossfield pass to James's feet and that sort of thing. I think that's a real asset. I don't think I'm quite ready to have Mepham in the back three. Now, I know across the games as a whole, I know he's had a really positive uh, window, but I want him. To, I want to see him do it in a shall we say, a real game, a game that's got some real weight to it, then I might be more comfortable with moving Ampadu out of the back three. I think right now I'm still a bit hesitant of Mepham's Mepham's composure when things do get genuinely really tough in really serious situations. Yeah, it's interesting that my next talking point was actually going to be about Mepham, so I'm glad you brought that up. I too think he's had a great window, and I've got to disagree with you slightly in the sense that for me, to use your word of the pod, compromise, that's what I'm going to name this week's pod, uh, Chad Compromise. Um, also, just as a point of reference, if I uh, if I refer to us as Chad on Twitter, I'm not talking about the country, uh, as a few people have pointed out, what is Chad? Um, uh, this is not a, a podcast about an African country, it's just Coleman had a dream uh, shortened so I could fit it in a tweet. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Chad compromise is what I'm calling this because for me, the balance, the, the trade-off, if you like, between the possible drop-down in what Mepham mm-hmm. takes away from Ampadu, if you look at it in that way, in comparison to what Ampadu brings to our midfield, I think the difference there, the drop-off defensively is not that vast, whereas I think what he brings to our midfield is a huge jump. I don't think anyone else in our midfield has that range of passing that he does, or the dynamism. As much as I love Joe Allen, he has lost um, you know, an inch or two in, in pace. So for me, I think he is worthy of that chance. And I do think across the four unimportant games, if you want to call them that. I thought Mepham was excellent. Don't get me wrong, he's still got a clangor in him. He's still got a slip or a misplaced pass. But so is everyone. Rodden did it in the Dutch game before he went off. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it happens. You know, I I think I would like to see us... And I also think he's a confidence player was the other thing I wanted to add there. Mm-hmm. I think he wants someone to believe in him. When they do, he'll be he'll be he'll he'll return that in kind. And I think I think he's done that in this window. And I think if he's given that chance in a big game, then I think he will step up. I I appreciate he has kind of been a bit wobbly times. I think his biggest thing, lastly, is he's going to the Premier League next year. He's someone who does need to be playing all the time. Who does need to have games and confidence. And I don't think he's going to get that at Bournemouth next year. So my, I will caveat all of the things that I've just said in the last two minutes by saying that I believe that if he goes somewhere in the Championship next season and plays regularly or starts playing Premier League football every week, which I don't really think will happen. But that is my kind of caveat for him. Yeah, that would be my concern. I, I, think, he, I think he's a football player. I think that this window demonstrated that he can build on a game and build on a game and build on a game. And I would be worried about him, you know, if he ends up in the sort of position that Rodden's been in, Rodden seems to be able to turn it on and off. I'm not sure Metham can. So that would be my concern, as you say, going up, going up a league with Bournemouth. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm with you on that one. Um, to look at their goals, I, I think... Again, you know, I said it before that goals have been avoidable in this in these games, and I, and I would put that in this category to an extent. I think the first one, we lose the ball out on our left initially before the ball kind of comes through to, to their striker. And that is the, the loss of possession in a fairly avoidable situation is the thing when I say this goal is avoidable. That's what I mean there. I also do think that... He's kind of the double turn. There's two people. There's Rodden and Ben Davis are on, uh, on him when he does the double turn, the kind of fake turn, fake turn, fake, and then shoot. I think I can understand people buying the first one, but I don't think this, both of them need to buy the second one. If someone just stands him up there, then I think 
it again that goal is avoidable because there's two people there my other thing was watching that live i thought to myself that's not really in the corner like i don't know if maybe hennessy should be getting a hand on that i will say having watched that back that is, that strike is hit with such power and venom you can't really see because it was the opposite end of the ground you don't really get the perspective of that when when you're there and it was actually a really really good finish so i have no qualms over the finish and i may be being hypercritical because it was two on one he's kind of dummied them dummied them and then shot but it's the giving the ball away in a silly position in the first instance which is my issue with the goal and 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 i and i yeah do you do you agree with that is that fair or am i being overly harsh no i mean i think as you said errors are going to happen when we were talking about mecca and rodden they do happen you just the ones you notice are the ones that have consequences and here was an error that had very serious consequences and you don't want to see that happen obviously um stating the obvious um, but it's i think the the nature of the amount of changes we've been making to the team across these games i think it's just a recipe for these kind of things to happen where someone someone thinks I'm picking up X and they're picking up Y and actually it was the other way around. And, you know, and I, I just think you're going to see more of those types of sort of miscommunication errors, as it were, misalignment errors in these games where you, you, every game you're turning over five or six players. And I, I just think we, we were paying for, paying for that by the end. Yeah, I, I get that, and that is true. And I do think if we go into that first game in the World Cup, what a sentence to say that is. I think we will know what our back five is. Everything will be a bit more settled and normal, and everyone will know their position and their role, and you'd like to think as a consequence of that, everything will be better. better sorry, I, And I do think, jumping ahead a little bit, I think the third goal is a perfect example of what you're talking about there, that not quite 100% understanding between who's going where. I mean, Depay ends up being picked up by... Gunter in the end, who's trying to kind of rush across and stop him, and I'd, I'd imagine that shouldn't really be the case. Um, before we go there, the second goal, again, at, at the time in the ground, I thought, bloody hell, when you actually look at that, I think we've actually defended that situation reasonably well. And then the rebound has fallen to him, and do you know what? Nine times out of ten, he probably, that probably hits the corner flag, but he has rattled that right into the bottom corner. And again, you talk about playing quality teams. That's what you get, isn't it? I'm saying nine times out of ten that hits the corner flag, but they are the type of team, as are Belgium, Poland, whoever, who they are the one time out of ten that they get that one chance and it and it goes in. So I don't want to be too harsh. I do think it was a frustrating goal because I do think enough of us were back in that in that moment. But I mean, you can't take anything away from the finish. It was a it was a very good, but a good a good finish. But it's just the quality in 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 our division, if you like, is is very stark at times, isn't it? I think it's very illustrative of now being in League A exactly. that, you know, we we maybe across a game in, in League B, we give people half a dozen chances, you know, and we, and we manage to defend most of them. You give the Holland or Belgium of the world half a dozen chances and they score in three goals. Yeah. So I, I think it's... It's, I think it's just illustrative of the quality of the opposition that we're, we're now facing. That a half, a half chance drops to him and, and he, he finishes like he's got all the time in the world. Yeah, yeah I mean, le- let's, let's not dwell too much on them, I suppose. Let's talk about us for a bit. We talked about Johnson earlier. I think the, the goal he scores is absolutely outstanding. <laughs> Um, the turnover in possession, I, I can't remember if it was James or Wilson, I think it was Wilson who turned the ball over in midfield and, and, and Johnson could kind of stride on. When he breaks forward like that, he's hitting that shot across goal against De Ligt, who is, I think, one of the best defenders around. I thought he looked like a, a different human being to everyone else when he played on uh, on the last Tuesday. I thought seeing him in the flesh was a was a real pleasure. I thought he was outstanding I know Frankie de Jong was very good as well but I thought de Ligt was outstanding and I for, for Johnson to drive on like that against two of their players hit that kind of cut across shot which kind of like outward bends into the bottom corner uh through de Ligt's legs which is the absolute audacity of the man is outrageous what a finish and do you know what for me when that when that went in I thought that was just kind of going to like bend just wide. And when it kind of like hit the inside of the post and ran into the net, 
I almost didn't celebrate. <laughs> it was just a, when it happened, I was like, bloody hell. I was just surprised as much as anything else to see the net balls. I turned around to the boys. I was like, I just can't believe that's happened. People were celebrating and I was just a bit confused. I think Johnson's ability to run at pace and then take the ball like back across the pitch and hence across the defenders and across the goalkeeper and into the far corner of the net from either side is it goes back to what we were saying earlier about his finishing. He, he's he's clearly got a a capacity to pick that tiny little corner of the goal, whichever you know, whichever side he's going, and and turn turn his speed into an asset. Whereas I think often James's speed, when we're getting to the finishing, becomes a hindrance to him because there's too much going on. Whereas for Johnson, it, it's an asset, um, and I think that was very manifest in this in this particular goal. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, you know, in a way, I think that kind of got us out of a hole because we weren't playing that well. We would, couldn't keep the ball. We were playing either balls into the channel to no one or balls up to Brennan Johnson's head, which which I thought was naive. There's a tactical discussion to be had there, I think, which we'll save for another day. But I do think the, the goal got us out of a hole at a key point of time just before half time. I think it was four minutes or so before half time. Shifted the momentum ever so slightly. And because I think at that point, the Dutch seemed to me a little bit like they thought they'd got this one and uh their their play kind of represented that i think they were just happy to kind of keep the ball and move onwards and we disrupted that with a with a brilliantly taken goal and i think that has obviously altered their game plan a little bit because going into the second half all of a sudden there it feels like a different game we are a bit more in it we didn't have loads of chances or, or whatever but we certainly went out when um Ramsey and Bale come onto the pitch then obviously the the game changes we become a lot more dynamic they've lost their momentum a little bit and I think we probably it's a bit a bit much to say we deserved the, to get the equaliser because we weren't kind of peppering them with shots but I think the way we grew into the game and stuck in the game meant that we deserved that equaliser in the end in my opinion I think our ability to stick in games is, is actually really important Dave. I mean, I mean, I know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the preponderance of late goals that we've given away, but I think that Johnson's goal in that in that game against the Dutch is very, it's very typical of how we don't we don't back off. We've got confidence in how we're playing. Yeah. We it, it ebbs and flows, and there are parts of the games when we, it works better than others, and there are against teams it works better than others. But we have a we have an inherent confidence in what we're doing, and so even two nil down, we were okay. We know what we're doing. We know we can get back in this. And you know, I think you're right. I think we were fortunate with the timing of it, um, because you know we could have we could have gone into that half time three nil down. Yeah. But you know, and and obviously it swing, it does then swing the momentum. And when you can, as you said, when you can bring the Ramsey and the Bells of the world off, off the bench in the second half, you can see their their impact. Um, but I, I think there is a resilience to us that has definitely improved under Page. I think I think there's a kind of steeliness there that uh, that goal was you know is was uh, was an illustration of that. I agree, and 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 moving into the dying minutes, there obviously ninety second minute, I think it is, we get the penalty. For me, it's definitely a pen. Uh, I had a few of my Dutch pals texting me saying that's never a pen. And I mean, I just don't know what you can do there, Roberts. I mean, a bloody Dutch, but um, uh, Roberts has won the header, has been given a forearm to the back of the head, and I admit, in watching it back, he does flick his legs a little bit and kind of oversell it. But I mean, I just don't know what else you're supposed to do. If, if I ran up to you, Ruth, and forearmed you in the back of the head and didn't fall over, I, 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 I just don't know what I think of that. I mean, it was a very, it was a, it was a stonewaller for me. I, I don't know what you thought. I think the sad part of it is, is it, it should be a penalty before the elbow in the back of the head. He shouldn't have to fall over yeah. to ensure he gets the penalty. But if he doesn't fall over, he might not get the penalty. Yeah. You know, you can think of lots of instances where, <clears throat> you know, the, the comments were, well, if, if that player had gone down, he would have got a penalty. And they're almost, you know, you're almost penalised for staying on your feet. Yeah. And I think Roberts is left in that 
position where he has, having had that elbow, he has to go down. So I think it's a pity that the game has reached a point where he has to sell it, even though I've got no doubt it's a penalty. Oh yeah, um, without question. So I, you know, I was, I, 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 it is a penalty. You can't, you can't throw your elbows around in the six-yard box like that and expect not to have a consequence yeah. of it. I mean, I will say that this experience of watching Wales play the Dutch home and away uh, once in the in the presence of Dutch fans is that. Bloody hell, they do like to moan about things. Um, at one point, when we were in the, I was in the pub watching the home game, and uh, as in when it was in Cardiff, and uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the people in the pub, when we gave away a foul, said, "Oh, bloody hell, I didn't realise we were playing your rugby team." Uh, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> You're winning the game. It's football. I don't know what you expect. They do love a moan, the Dutch." Um, so uh, I suppose I shouldn't be overly surprised that they uh, they moaned about the penalty. Um, it was a it was a great finish from Bale, cool, calm, and composed after the the kind of VAR delay. But I suppose it's the thirty seconds that followed that, which is the which is the real talking point here. Because what a what a frustrating way to end that. I actually laughed when they scored because I was so gobsmacked and flummoxed by the whole situation. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't have it in me to be angry at that point. I was so drunk. Um, I and I, look happy that we scored. The adrenaline hadn't gone away, so I just laughed because I just didn't know what else to do. But super frustrating. Um, again, of all of the goals we've conceded, that's the one I will say. There's huge slices of luck for them. Don't get me wrong, but that's the one for me. I will say we can't concede that goal. We just can't. I don't know. If you want to point fingers out or blame or miscommunication or tiredness, fatigue. I don't care. We can't. We cannot equalise in the 92nd minute and not come away from that game with a point. I agree. I think I actually that that one, of the ones we've conceded late, I think that one was the one where just the bounce of the ball and the luck was most obviously, in that case, on yeah. the Netherlands yeah. side. I think, I think some of the other ones we've conceded late, we, there's been more sort of egregious errors and carelessness and sloppiness and sleepiness on our part. I think this that particular goal, the one in the final stadium, was the most obviously just every little inch of luck and bounce and ricochet went went their way. Um, I, I've done some number crunching, if you want some number crunching, oh, about I, how, I we've, love been it do, when how we've been doing in these... In these so, Obviously, in um, we've had this run, this perception that we've let in these late goals over this window. And I never like looking at patterns over just, in this case, five games, because I think that's too short. So I went back to last September. So all the games since we were in Euro 2020. Okay, so that's, four, that's 14 games. We've scored 21 goals and we've conceded 16 Right. So that conceded 16 and 14 is a bit high for us. So I think there's, you know, there's some messages there that our, our strength in D, you know, might need some tweaking. Then if you look at how those goals have been scored, of, of the 16 that have been scored against us, basically seven in the first half and nine in the second half. So 50-50 to all intents and purposes. And it's the set the same the goals we've scored is 10 and 11 so we're scoring and letting them in overall at the same rate between the first half and the second half but what's interesting is if you look at the very end of the game the goal scored after the 85th minute what is interesting is we've scored five in those 14 games after the 85th minute but we've let but we've let in four so of the nine goals that have gone in in the second half against us, four of them have gone in the 85th minute or later. So half of the goals that were let in in the second half were letting in really, really late in the second half. So that, so it, I think it is fair to say that there's a pattern there. There is a problem we have there at the end of the game. Is that out of interest? Did I've you got say, some ideas why. Got, can I just ask a quick question? Is that so? Does that include the Euro twenty twenty game? I'm just trying to work out what those goals no, are. No, no, it just it's just in September. Okay. So it's the the World Cup qualifying games, the couple of friendlies we've had along the way, the right. playoffs, and this window. Right. Okay. So the first game that's in that run is the, the away friendly with Finland, and then it goes on in 
to the um, into the World Cup qualifiers in the, in last autumn. Um, so that's the four, that's the fourteen games. Um, but I think part of it is, particularly in these recent three games, is we haven't had who you'd think of as our, our starting five at the back on the field by the end of the game. We haven't sometimes we haven't had them on the field at the start of the game, and they uh, and they haven't they definitely haven't been on the field by the end of the game. Like in that that. Um, the Polish game, by the time we finished, the, the central three were Gunter, Methem and Norrington Davis, you know, and Williams and Smith were either side of them by the end of the game. So I think there's also, you've got to be careful that you don't you don't see a pattern, but, it, but it's also reflective of the fact that we're not actually playing our usual, what we think of as a starting five like that. But it's, I thought it was interesting the emphasis. We we clearly have been letting in more goals late in games than than in other parts of the game. I, w- the, I guess the counter to that would be is that a lot of those have happened in games that don't matter and when it has mattered we've mm-hmm. kind of stepped up. I'm just trying to think now. Yeah. Obviously the Finland one that you mentioned there is one. There's three that you've mentioned. No, there. that was it was there was there was Finland Finland we were nil nil. So the four the four that have gone in late in that time frame are one against Belarus at home when we were already four nil up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then and then the Poland goal and the two Netherlands the two Netherlands goals. So you know I think I think it's a pattern, but I think it's a pattern caused by these most recent games and the fact that we've been playing you know teams to all intents and purposes that's a good point that's a very good point and also that belarus goal at four nil or five nil i forget was also the goal of the game the boys scored an absolute worldie in that goal uh, in that game so yeah. that's that is also a fair point yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought about it that way um i think just to sorry i'm trying to pa- pa- uh, pad while i look through my notes very quickly here um i think just to go back to that very briefly I think the mm-hmm. point you've said about the luck there, in in a sense of their of their goal, is just a point I wanted to reiterate for mm-hmm. the Dutch goal because that is one of those. I honestly think that if that ball lands one foot or one inch even further forward or for, further behind the pie, he can't wrap his foot around it in the way he does, and because yeah. it's because the flick on's not intentional. That someone's just trying to put it into an area, and on on another day, if he starts his run. A, a tiny second later or early, he, he, like that doesn't fall that way. So there is that element of luck to that as well. Um, I mean, that we were going to talk about there whether that's a concern. I, I think you've answered that question in the sense that it's not a concern as long as we're playing our best players. And I do think that the, the fact that we are holding on in the matches that have mattered, the, the Austria and Ukraine game being the two which obviously stick out, I think that is also worth yeah. pointing out. We, we've kind of done stuff when we need to do it. Um, my We have couple of big questions to finish i'm desperate to keep this under an hour mainly so i can have my tea but um (laughs) is overall how do you think these five games have gone like if you if you're going to give this a rating out of five what what would you give us yes well the problem the problem is it's it's all in the context of the win over Ukraine, is that you just can't see these games as five evenly significant games. They're not. There was there was one game in this window actually of any importance, and so on that basis, we we beat Ukraine. We're going to the World Cup. I'd give it a ten out of five. But you know, I think the I think the pity is that we worked so hard to get into this into this league. We we're at the top table and when when you're in those circumstances you want to be able to give your best and i think the pity is that because well partly because of the ukraine game obviously but just being at the end of the season so many games in the in the window we haven't um we haven't actually been able to put our best foot forward within, within the game have we? so i think if you just look at the five games overall, you'd probably give them a two out of five. But I think there's too much context for that to actually be meaningful, really. 
Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I hope the the conversation of those people on their radio were. I hope they weren't MI five um, because uh, <laughs> uh, a few hundred people in Wales will have just heard that. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think I would give it a four and a half. And I, I I mean, obviously, what you've said is spot on. The context of the World Cup. If you'd have told me beforehand we'd lose four of those games but win one of them, and the one of them was the game against Ukraine, then obviously I would have taken that. I, I don't think there's any argument. My only thing, and I, 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 I would say four and a half out of five, is because if we'd have held on in those games, I think we almost would have guaranteed ourselves a spot at the top table yeah. next year. And with that, probably would have been pot one seedings for the, for the Euros qualifiers draw when that comes out as well. So that's why I take that, because there is, I don't care in the, in, the, in the wider context of the actual results. It's just that there's that little bit of frustration that we would be we would be safe probably if we'd have hung on to the point against the poles, the point against the the Dutch both sides, um, and I think those extra three points what it taken off the poles as well. I think that is my only frustration really because I think we we worked hard enough. We deserved those extra points. We deserve to have realistically four points on the board and we've only got three uh, we've only got one sorry so that would be my 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 only negative there really i mean realistically though ruth we mentioned the qatar game there that was the one that kind of matters the big question that uh i got asked by all of two people in rotterdam was (laughs) are you and ruth going to qatar um are you going to qatar ruth I keep telling you no. I keep telling you I'm not going. <laughs> but I feel like if I ask you often enough, eventually you'll slip up and say yes. Unless unless I somehow win the lottery over here, maybe. But uh, I might have to enter it to do that. <laughs> well, there you are, ladies and gents. If anyone uh, if anyone is is in the uh, is in the Oregon area, uh, please <laughs> please drop Ruth a tenner uh, in a in a, in the get get Ruth to Qatar fund. Um, which uh, which will be started up on is it Kickstarter or something I don't know anyway that's <laughs> to be clear we're not we're not defraud that's not actually happening we're not defrauding people on charity uh, for, for for charity anyway um, I'm waffling there so yeah I, I'm gonna go I think we're looking at uh, a few options tickets obviously are coming out soon I'm in Group Three obviously not being able to go to the home games is kind of has hindered me during my time in America and obviously now here. I say hindered me. I've not like I'm, you know, locked in a cell somewhere. But uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I think I, I think we're gonna we're gonna see if we can give it a go. Um, I mean, ultimately, the big question here is what do you think this means for for Welsh football in the in the bigger sense? I mean, it's obvious what it means right now, but I think what you know what impact do you think this has on Welsh football moving forward? Oh, I think it's immeasurable, actually. I think there's there's concrete there's concrete. Um, Someone has just told that kid that the that the the Americans are playing the way the Welsh. They 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 they've heard that they're playing Wales in the World Cup and that their their fate they're against Gareth Bale and that kid is now absolutely heartbroken. They're crying because they know they're going to get knocked out of the World Cup by Wales. Go on, try again, Ruth. Um, I mean, I think there's there's obviously monetary aspects of it there's prestige aspects of it there's practical things as you said you know a chance to kind of solidify our ranking and possibly help where we land in pools for subsequent qualification but i just think it says so much more about where we are as a footballing nation i think it i mean i've met my first american who didn't know the first thing about soccer um but but now knows that way is something different from England, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the middle of nowhere with folks who don't know the first thing about football, but I've bumped into my first person who now realises that there is a difference there. And I think in terms of putting us on the world stage, it's it's immeasurable. I agree. I, I think it's massive for the country, for us financially. People want to go to Wales. Um, people want to know where it is. People want to know about it. People want to know about Amar Ohid. Um, kids in school who didn't give a monkey about Welsh football before and Wales in general are now asking me questions about it. One kid has irritatingly found my podcast, so uh, our podcast, sorry, so if he's listening to this. Uh, he's Belgian as well, Ivan, so uh, yeah, I, I made sure I gave him a bit, a bit of grief back. So if, you, if you've listened to this, Ivan, good for you, mate. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's other things as well, which like the untangibles, like you've mentioned there about someone asking you about 
Wales in comparison to England. Like, you can't measure that. It doesn't mean anything in a literal sense, but it actually is super important. I saw someone, I can't remember who, I probably should have written it down. Someone posted on Twitter today um, in the New York Times crossword was a clue where small nation who were in the USA's group in the World Cup. There's no way that Wales are in that crossword uh, in the New York Times uh, six months or so ago, you know? So that, that stuff makes a big impact, makes a big difference to us. And I think the bigger thing for me in a, in a football sense is that we've broken that kind of qualif- qualifying who, who'd, hoodoo. Um, and I think that's super important in that we're not th- talking about Joe Jordan's hand or disappointments and heartbreaks and stuff like that anymore. It's yeah. happened. We've done it. We've achieved it. And I think that is something so special and important that this group of players, the staff, the management, everyone, the, the fans have broken through that thing, that horrible feeling of constant disappointment and it's happened now we're there we've made it and it's just it's absolutely it's absolutely amazing to think that yeah i think i've moved into the happy phase i know this this my last time we were talking you were asking me what my overlying emotion was and it was relief. and the tears that day the, t- the tears the day to the ukrainian games those were, were relief tears those were like that thank god kind of tears whereas i was watching um our flag it was a little video on Twitter and they were raising our flag in Qatar in, I can't remember, it must looked like it was by the ocean and there was some sort of like display of, you know, flags of the competing countries. And I was watching our flag going out and I started crying again. But those were happy, te- those were happy tears. Those were, this is actually happening. We're, you know, this is our stage. This is where we're at. And I, I find it interesting the way I've sort of morphed into that phase now. Yeah, I've fully gone that way. I think every time I think about it or hear a Shakira song now, I'm, I'm, I'm on the verge of tears. <laughs> I think the other thing uh, to, to go with that is as well, is that it's, I, I've said this stuff on it before and I, I can feel myself going now, but it is a collective thing, you know? Like, it, I, obviously I'm glad that we've qualified for the, you know, for everything that it brings and the fact that we are going to World Cup, but the fact that that happened and we were there and we saw it and, and we were our mates and I know obviously I wasn't with you, Ruth, but we've been on this mental journey as well as football fans in the last six years, well, but probably seven years realistically from when we started watching football together and stuff. It's it's mad isn't it and I think that's the thing that I have enjoyed most is like when we were out in Rotterdam people singing the Waka Waka song and dancing about and there were, no one had a bad time you know people were more drunk than I think human beings should probably be but that, that's fantastic and it was it was all about the fact that you were there with your mates and you were having a good time and you know obviously it's amazing but to experience that moment and those moments with your friends is, is, is incredible and I think that's the thing that I take from this you know, I think in a weird way, I've almost enjoyed the back in and forth in of how are we going to get to Qatar and should we go to Dubai and or should we fly in from Bahrain or like I'm, I'm back to enjoying that stuff now because it's just mad, isn't it? That we're going, this is this is the stuff we need to do to go to a World Cup. And I think, you know, yeah. that's, you know, I'm, I'm the same as you on that night. I cried for 10 minutes pretty much after the match. And that was just like, just emotion. I'm not even sure it was happy. <laughs> it was just emotion. Whereas now, every time you know, I, I you know, look in my look in my house, and I've got a Wales shirt up or Wales flags, it's just happy. And when we when I came home that night, I think I posted a picture of this on Twitter. But Joy had put the flag up in our window, in our front window, and had opened the windows uh, of the kitchen and was playing the Welsh national anthem as I walked up to the house. And she had tied um, the Welsh flag round Shearer the dog's neck and opened the door and I was just like I was gone again I was just like Jesus Christ what are you doing to me I, I walked out of that I you know Shearer ran out of the house to greet me the anthem was playing some bloke walking down the road looked at me like I was some sort of lunatic um, but I was just there crying again I was just like this is absolutely amazing and that that's what it is in it it's just that pleasure and that happiness is just uh, indescribable I think is uh, is the word you're, set, you're setting me off Dave <laughs> oh bloody hell Ruth has actually gone it's, it's a good job this isn't a, a YouTube special as Ru- Ruth Ruth is officially gone um, so there you are well, I'll, I'll stop I'll stop there Ruth is there anything else now that I've made you cry that you want to add uh, before we finish no no it's it's dreamland isn't it it is what you dream of and it's just like let's enjoy it we've just we've got 
we got what we got till november december i want to just enjoy every minute exactly i uh my, my final question actually ruth one more is have you bought a wacka wacka we're going to qatar t-shirt <laughs> no <laughs> i think i might have to get that custom made over here uh, no no I'll, I'll send i'll send you a link when we're finished uh the, the lads and lasses uh i'd imagine from cumry collectibles i've got these t-shirts so i've i have ordered myself one i would urge you to do the same free advertising there for cumry collectibles if they listen so uh, maybe they can get ruth a free t-shirt who knows anyway uh this giddy nonsense will stop ladies and gents uh as, as i don't need to hear uh the, the the tears dripping onto ruth's microphone so we will call it quits um and uh, and go from there thank you very much for your time ruth as always a pleasure an absolute pleasure. <laughs> I'm enjoying go. these last few days. <laughs> Rude not to. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gents. There's going to be loads of stuff coming from us in the summer. Um, we're going to speak to someone from Iran, the USA, and unfortunately England about what they think of facing Wales in the World Cup. Uh, a few other things, you know, wider things, the squad, all of that sort of stuff is going to get discussed. We've also started a Buy Me A Coffee page. It would be great if anyone could support us uh, and chuck us a few quid to keep this uh, podcast going. Costs are going up and uh, it would be absolutely amazing if you could get on board with that. So um, I'll, I'll share some links of that around it. It will also be a link to that on our website very, very soon as well. So if you could support us, that would be most appreciated. Uh, thank you very much for your time, ladies and gents. Enjoy your evening and let's not forget, we're going to Qatar. Goodbye. <laughs>